On today's episode, a new paradigm for blister management with Rebecca Rushton. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default, become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. If the name rings the bell, uh, Rebecca Rushton was on the podcast earlier, um, two years ago, in fact. She had episode 117 uh, in March of 2021, and we had the, the episode titled Blister Myth Busting. And she has just released and published two papers on blister causation and prevention. So that would come on and discuss things. If you have blisters, if you don't get blisters, um, you'll love this episode just to learn more about what causes it, the best treatment options, and what most runners are interested about, how to prevent blisters. That being in the, you know, non-athletic or athletic population, whether you are an ultra runner or just a recreational runner, you can have tons of takeaways from this. And Rebecca's one of the best in the world at um, blister management, understanding how blisters are formed. And so she also has a PDF about uh, treating, preventing, understanding blisters. So I'll leave that in the show notes. You can, um, Rebecca will go on to talk about that PDF in a second. And yeah, we also sprinkle in a couple of patron questions. So thanks again, Melinda, Craig, and Amy for submitting your questions. And let's dive in. Rebecca, thanks for joining me once again on the Run Smarter podcast. It's lovely to be here. Thanks, Brody. Uh, if someone has mentioned or if someone's missed your previous chat um, on the podcast, would you mind just introducing yourself, who you are and your career and um, what you're up to these days? Yeah, well, uh, my name's Rebecca Rushton. I'm in Esperance, WA. I've been here... 23 years. Hmm. Uh, I've been a podiatrist for about 30 years now and um, I have a private practice down here. I'm the only podiatrist in town. It's a town of about 15,000 so that keeps me busy. Um, and in about 2008 I started looking seriously into blisters because I personally have blister prone feet. At the time I was struggling with posterior heel blisters and I just couldn't get my head around what was going on. Um, so that started off my special interest in blister management and um, in 2012 it kind of really took off with a website and it's been onwards and upwards from there. So at the moment I, um, I have a website blister-prevention.com and that's aimed at just the general running and hiking public and uh, it has tons of information that's freely available on you know all things blisters friction blisters and I also have um, a course called fix my foot blisters fast which is where 
most people um, take that course. It's not really a course, but, you know, um, it's just a really great little resource that gets you to the right information quickly. And um, people that are preparing for events especially and want to make sure that they're not going to be troubled in the lead up with their training and obviously during the event, not going to have blisters limit their performance and all the rest of it. And I also educate podiatrists on blister management because surprisingly it's one of those things that we think we understand but the majority of us don't actually really understand. So it's obviously my quest to make my profession a bit better at managing these things for their patients. Yeah. And because this is a running population is or running audience, is there a certain type of running population, certain distances or um, trails or road or, or um, that sort of spe- specificity that you mainly see when it comes to blisters? It's, it's more the long duration. Um, so the longer you run, because uh, blisters are caused by repetitive shear load on the skin, that repetitive nature is, is kind of a required thing. Having said that, um, I when I was getting blisters back in 2008, my issue was posterior heel blisters with walking. And so I'd walk every day with my dog and literally after eight minutes I could have a blister and my, my heels just were in this constant state of blister recovery or actually being blistered. So it's not necessarily just the duration. There can be anatomical and functional predispositions. And then we all sit at a different spot on the blister susceptibility continuum, if you like. So some of, the, some of us are lucky enough to um, or unlucky enough to have pretty blister-prone skin and others uh, fairly blister resistant and that's why there's such a you know your, your best friend might never get blisters and you do all the same things yet you get blisters all the time okay uh, we'll dive a bit more into that in a second but um, one of the main reasons we decided to jump on another call is you have two new research papers available um, the first one you sent me was uh, friction blisters a new paradigm to explain causation and then mm. the other one was friction blisters uh, critical assessment of current pre- prevention strategies. Um, diving into like the first one, well, I guess these papers that have been emerging, um, can you explain like why the need to, to release these papers in the first place? Yeah, well, I was becoming increasingly frustrated with the the misuse of the term friction really in relation to friction blisters and what causes them and not just um this wasn't just happening in the general uh population on blogs and magazine it was happening it is happening in journal articles and academic you know textbook type things and it's getting worse as the years go on so we say it's a new paradigm it's actually an old paradigm but we're resurfacing it and we're um, calling out the errors in the current friction or rubbing paradigm of blister causation. So, yeah, back in 2000 and probably early 2021, I contacted an American podiatrist, a colleague of mine, um, Doug Ritchie, and he he has done some important blister research in the early 1990s. He also wrote a paper, just a, a quick review paper of the evidence base for prevention strategies in 2010. And he said in, in this paper, uh, which was early on in my you know quest to figure out what blisters were all about, he mentioned the skin and bone moving out of sync. 
Now, when I first read that, I thought that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard anyone say about what causes blisters. But it wasn't long after that that I realised it's the friction, the force of friction that keeps the skin stationary while the bones are moving back and forth within the foot and everything in between stretches and distorts. So that's the sheer deformation. It's normal. It happens with every step that we take. And um, But the more repetitive it is and for certain factors, that shear deformation can become damaging and we get this mechanical fatigue in the epidermis and um, that's the beginning. We get like a tear. That's the beginning of the blister injury and within two hours it fills with fluid to form a blister. So that needs to be more realised and understood by not just the general population but also podiatrists and people that are writing stuff in academic journals about blisters. So... Um, yeah, so that's the that's the thing with friction is it has two definitions and they are more dissimilar than they are similar. So like friction in layman's terms means rubbing, but the scientific ter- uh, definition of friction is it's the force that resists movement between two surfaces. So on the one hand it means rubbing and on the other hand it means not rubbing or the resistance to rubbing. So see they're more dissimilar than they are similar, but we only think about the rubbing definition, the lay definition when we talk about blisters and what we should be referring to is the scientific definition. It's the force of friction that keeps the skin surface stationary to all the interfaces external to it. So skin, sock, sock, shoe, uh, shoe, ground. Uh, Everything remains in relatively stationary contact while the bones are moving back and forth within the skin um, and that's repetitive shear deformation. Yeah. And for, if, if I can just elaborate on the rubbing thing as well and how there's so many areas where it's easy to trip us up. When there's a rubbing episode, and this is quite easily um, easy to get your head around. I know your listeners can't see me, but if we get our, the index finger of our right hand and put it on the back of our left hand, If you wobble your finger back and forth but keep it stuck to that same bit of skin, you'll notice that there's a lot of give in the soft tissue under your fingertip or on the back of your hand. But nothing's actually rubbed. There's been no relative movement yet. So we've got this stationary contact event of a rubbing episode. So there's that. And then there's the actual relative movement. So there's actually two events in a single rubbing episode the problem is conceptually we only think about the relative motion but we don't think about this stationary part and unfortunately it's this stationary um, shear deformation that is the most important for determining the um, the strain that happens to the soft tissues underneath that okay and and so that's i guess why it's titled like the new paradigm and you said that previous even research papers were coming up with were emerging something completely different which required the shift which required this paper to be released in the first place so what was the the previous understanding which we now like have revealed inaccurate Um, that basically blisters are caused by friction, that they're superficial to deep. And when I say friction, we we actually mean rubbing. So most people think uh, friction blisters are caused by rubbing on the skin surface and that that wears away at deeper and deeper layers. But in fact, blisters aren't a 
um, superficial to deep wear injury. They're a mechanical fatigue within the layers of the epidermis and particularly the um, stratum spinosum. That's the initiation of the blister injury and then fluid fills the area to make it look like what we know and love as a blister. Gotcha. So going back to your previous example, like um, when you first started getting blisters, you said you got blisters on the back of your heel when you were Mm. walking. The old thinking might have been, oh, because your skin is rubbing on the sock, rubbing on the shoe, and it's that back and forth friction of the Mm. skin onto the shoe that's um, when there's more repetition is causing that blister. But in fact, you're saying that it could, it's, it's, the skin actually can be fixed and not rubbing on the shoe, but it's still the bone, the heel bone itself is rubbing up and back and forth on the inside of the skin and causing that defamation or causing that that irritation. Absolutely spot on, Brody. You've got it down, Pat. Well done. Um, Yes, it's the bones moving back and forth. Now, if you think about our go-to blister prevention strategy, which is taping, taping makes intuitive sense if we're working on the rubbing paradigm. But if you put a, if we do this fingertip on the back of your hand again, and if you put a big bit of tape across the whole back of your hand and repeat it, keep it stuck to the tape though, you'll notice that it doesn't eliminate shear in the soft tissues under the fingertip there's still still shear going on and that is why i was getting blisters in spite of taping the back of my heels because Mm. they were the bone was still moving so bones are moving skin stays still everything in between stretches and distorts combine that with my um relatively blister prone skin yeah that's what was going on i'm sort of doing my own little example here because i've got like my hand against the table and i'm sort of like positioning my knuckle onto the table and sort of just rubbing my hand back and forth and I can feel like the the movement of the knuckle um, on top of the skin rub back and forth but the skin actually stay in place on the table itself and so just another another example okay so I hope people can sort of grasp that concept I think like a more visual element would be helpful but I think we've we've done a pretty good job of explaining that Um, and so you've got this Uh, in the paper itself, you said that like the main causes are motion of the bone, high friction force, and also repetition. So it's, it would be like a combination of those three. Yes. They're the three critical factors. Now you can impact on any one of those and prevent that blister from happening. So if you were getting blisters and you just stopped running as far, you probably won't get blisters, okay? So that's the repetition side of things? That's the repetition side. If you make everything really slippery slidey in your shoe by, you know, reducing friction levels, um, you probably, and even if you keep running as far and the bones are just moving the same, you won't get blisters. And if you can eliminate the excessive bone motion under that piece of skin, um, that will also, even in spite of everything else being equal, you can reduce friction blisters. Okay. So going back to your example with the the blister behind the heel, if you were to, if we look at one aspect, which is the motion of the bone, is -hmm. there a way that you can reduce the motion of the heel as you're walking? If you have an early heel lift or let's go with early heel lift, that could be caused by tight calf muscles. Um, So you might want to institute stretching or even mobilizations of fibula just to free things up a bit. Um, and you can also use heel lifts. Heel lifts will reduce the total range of, um, like it'll keep the heel loaded for longer. Heel lifts will also um, help 
uh, reduce a um, delayed heel lift. So some people have a delayed heel lift. So when the heel does lift, it's quite rapid and the heel bone's at kind of a different angle. So we don't actually have any um, research or evidence base that says that's what causes blisters. So that's the thing. We need to take our clinical reasoning of our understanding of what causes blisters plus anatomy and, and function and try and, you know, implement strategies that make sense. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of if for a runner, if they were getting blisters around the heel and if we're still on this, the category of motion of the bone, um, mm. if maybe changing their strike pattern or if they're, they're overstriding and they sort of contact more underneath their body or if they're got a yes. crossover step width and we're sort of widening their, their step width, if that would in fact, change the, the mechanics or change that motion of the heel bone on the skin? It makes sense that if you had a, if you were striking with your heel right out in front of you, of course, the, it's at a more sort of horizontal angle, so there'd be more pressure also of the bone against the back of the shoe or relative to the back of the shoe. So, yes, yeah, striking with your uh, heel a little bit closer to under your body would be helpful there. So that that's in terms of bone movement, but I find that, trying to um, influence bone movement for posterior heel blisters is not the be all and end all. We have to look external to that. We have to look outside of that to one of the other uh, mechanisms. Mm. So looking at these causes, that was the motion of the bone. You also mentioned the repetition, which I think the repetition is a lot more easier to understand and grasp Mm. because, you know, repetition causes that irritation. Then if we don't run as far, that's less steps and less, repetition so that's that's a um a good strategy to implement and then you're talking about the third one which was high friction force so like you said making everything slippery as possible like Mm. in relation to a runner um what would that involve or like what would that implement um well i use engo here engo blister patches so that's like a ptfe material polytetrafluoroethylene and if you know anything about that it's kind of like teflon it's like a really smooth slippery material and um that's what i use and i go to ultra marathon events where they run for six days straight and you soon get an idea of what works and doesn't work and i found that there's nothing that is as effective and easy to implement and keep in place than those patches so that just allows what what you don't want to have happen is your heel slipping up and down at the back of your shoe such that your foot's kind of coming out of the shoe so the aim isn't for that because we use our lacing to keep our foot stable in the shoe but if you're bothered by blisters at the back of the heel you just need to allow that tiny bit of skin to slip and slide relative to um, like in more in sync with the bone to reduce the magnitude of the shear deformation happening at that tiny little spot where you get that blister that's that's what you need but so it's not like your whole heel is going all slippery slidey at the back um, because we still need to use our laces to hold our foot stable in the shoe yeah and so I guess the application of those sort of um, those sort of products would just be Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. 
The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Specifically to that location, because I know a lot mm. of people have blisters around like their toes, so that mm. would only be applied around the toe or like the area that's been affected. Yeah, I'm a big fan of judging a blister and like attacking a blister according to its anatomical location. Anything else is a bit too, it's not specific enough. So it's really just that spot of skin that you need to deal with because, you know, high friction levels are actually necessary because it allows for traction for our foot in the shoe. So it's actually required and it's it's built that way with the materials that we use in our socks and our shoes and in the soles and all that kind of thing. What you don't want is to have, let's say, um, under the ball of your foot, let's say you had like a blister under the second met head, or you don't want to put like a huge engo patch or, or Vaseline over the whole bottom of the foot, top of the foot, because that would be everything slipping and sliding and it doesn't make for efficient gait. So mm. the, your efficiencies of gait are going to be um, impeded. So it really is just dealing with that specific patch of skin is really yeah. what we want to do. And you'd probably end up with black toenails if your foot was sliding too much in the, the shoe and sort of hammering into the front of the shoe. Yeah, and if you're on the trail, you'll probably sprain your ankle because there's just no traction for your foot within the shoe. Yeah. All right, excellent. Um, I've got a couple of patron questions that are sprinkled into this um, mm-hmm this session. So I've got Melinda who asks, why do I blister at the same place on the same foot, regardless of what shoe I wear? Um, What can you say for Melinda? I can say that essentially you've got high um, shear magnitudes at that particular anatomical location. So the challenge is to to find out why. Basically what will be happening, and we'll assume that there's high friction a high coefficient of friction because, you know, the skin sweats and, as I said, we need traction. So that's a given. Um, But there are other potential reasons and that is the bone, the way the bones move. So you could think about things like ligamentous laxity. If your ligaments are very loose, you have bigger bony excursions that predisposes you to blisters. Um, An abductory twist, which is what happens sometimes in some people when we lift our heel, we kind of do this little twist on our forefoot and that can lead to um, blisters under the first met head. Um, people with flat arches or who non-weight bearing have quite high arches, but then when they weight bear, their arches flatten a lot. Think about the metatarsal heads, sort of the skin stays still, the metatarsal heads roll over them, much like your knuckle scenario, Brody. Um, so we could try and impact that with orthotics or calf stretches or something. And then there's a thing called extensive substitution where your calf muscles are tight or you have limited ankle joint dorsiflexion for some reason. And in swing, your toe extensors, so the muscles that draw the toes back, they're working overtime to try and get toe clearance so you don't trip yourself up as that leg swings through. So you can imagine what happens to the tops of those toes against the toe box of the shoe. So there'll be... There's, there's the potential for some sort of bone movement um, aspect that you could deal with. And the other thing is high pressure because we know that uh, the more things are compressed together, the higher the friction force. Because if we think about the, um, the equation for friction is it's the coefficient of friction times normal force. So you can reduce friction force by reducing the normal force, which is pressure, and the coefficient of friction, which is basically just make things more slippery. 
So um, we can always do the coefficient of friction thing by using something that makes it more slippery. Um, but depending on your the way your feet are structured and the way they work, um, you know, the, there might be a Haglund's deformity, which is a lump on the back of the heel that could predispose to posterior heel blisters. Um, you could have a bunion or a hammer toe or prominent met head under your foot. So these are, these are things that could be addressed. And that's yeah. what podiatrists do is we figure out what, where all these um, anomalies are coming from and what we can do about them. Yeah. And it'd be, it would have been nice if we knew where Melinda's blister actually was mm. to, I guess, have a better idea. But what from what it seems like, so even changing out shoes, that friction point or, you know, that susceptible point is still undergoing, like you say, that um, that high deformity of bone over skin, no matter what mm. the shoe what shoes placed in but have you have you found in some people that changing the shoe actually works um like yeah for example if you get a deeper toe box and you've got extensive substitution or a hammer toe a deeper toe box is going to be helpful not as easy to find as you would think but if we compare say athletic shoes to dress shoes it's kind of easy you know uh, work boots for example hiking boots they generally have a deep toe box um so Yes, sometimes, but more often than not, it's not the factor. And in fact, if they, if people think it's more about the shoe, it's usually more about the activity that they do in the shoe. You know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What about but lacing? Is there like lacing strategies that if someone's maybe, well, I guess that wouldn't. What yeah, I'm the, thinking the, of is like if the the top rows of the shoes are like a bit more secure, but wouldn't that uh, reduce the amount of sliding in the shoe? Yes. So, I mean, I like lacing, a firm lacing technique because that also gives the foot traction and that means that you can get away with reducing friction over a wider area um, without having any, you know, of the downsides to it. So, you know, uh, the heel lock or the lace lock is my favourite lacing technique. It just keeps the heel at the back of the shoe, the toes out of the end of the toe box so it can reduce blister incidence from heel to toe. Won't be the difference for everyone but for some people particularly in the longer you run in these ultra marathons i see a lot of runners where there's this big gap at the back of the heel they're trying to have their laces all loose because things are a bit sore on the top of the foot so they loosen their laces but the foot just moves forward and the toes are jamming into the end of the toe box the narrower and shallower part of the toe box hmm. Yeah. We're sort of crossing over a little bit of what I've got written down because I wanted to talk about the second paper, which is like about prevention strategies, um, which we've sort of alluded to a little bit already. But um, as a, a general summary, in terms of this second paper talking about prevention strategies, um, what did this paper reveal exactly? Well, what we looked at was we we took all the preventions in popular use and some that aren't quite so known about and we figured out what the um, evidence base was for them and what we found was there is evidence uh, that blister incidence is reduced when we use three strategies one is neoprene insoles so that's basically spenko insoles the second is dense padded acrylic socks we don't, you don't often find 100% acrylic socks though, So, um, it, it, but we can assume that the thicker and the more dense the sock construction is, the better. 
with a, a some sort of synthetic material and also for adaption so adaption is one of the strategies that we can use to create positive changes in the structure of the skin to make it more resistant to repetitive shear deformation and we take care of that with training you don't need to do anything special as a runner to implement that because when you're let's say training for a marathon you are incrementally increasing the uh, duration of your running or the intensity of your running um, and over time that leads to the structural the positive structural changes in the epidermis so uh, you think you're training your aerobic getting your aerobic fitness ready and your musculoskeletal system but you're also training your skin now the only thing you need to realize here is that adaption Maximising adaption is really important, but it's not enough for some people. Like it wasn't enough for me on my 30-minute walks in the morning, which I did every morning, and um, it wasn't like I was, you know, having six weeks off and then going for a walk and then wondering why I got a blister. I was doing that every morning. And so the, the adaption that my skin had undergone was maxed out. I had to find something in addition to target that particular anatomical location. I'll just go through also the evidence that we have that shows that blister incidence isn't reduced and that is with powders and antiperspirants. So with antiperspirants, uh, back in the old days in the military, they used a really hardcore antiperspirant and it was found to reduce blister incidence, which was great. However, it also had a really high um side effect of irritant dermatitis so much so that it just wasn't worth using and so what they did was they then trialed the same with an emollient in the antiperspirant preparation and it didn't cause the irritant dermatitis any anymore but it lost its blister prevention power so at this point in time powders and antiperspirants don't work we've got conflicting evidence for two things double socks and paper tape. So with paper tape, we've got one study that says it works and one study that says it doesn't work. And with double socks, we've got three papers that show conflicting evidence. So we're really not sure. And finally, we have either no research or insufficient evidence for things that you and I would just assume are common sense and we just take it for granted that are good blister prevention strategies and they are footwear fit. Nothing to say in the research that having shoes that fit perfectly reduces blister incidence. We've got nothing on lubricants. A lot of runners use lubricants. There's no research that tests that. We don't have anything for tapes other than paper tape. We've got nothing for toe socks, which are kind of common in um, running and particularly hiking, um, or socks of other construction materials, thicknesses or um, materials and blends. We've got nothing for engo patches. We've got some pretty impressive friction data from like within the lab, but nothing in the real world to compare um, blister rates. And gel toe sleeves, we have nothing for those, but I just rely on those for reducing most toe blisters uh, because that material really absorbs all the shear and biomechanical interventions we've got nothing that that shows that so there's nothing that says if you use a toe prop under clawed toes that you're going to reduce the incidence of blisters at the apex of those toes at the tip of the toes but I mean as a podiatrist I use that all the time for more likely corns and calluses but also blisters 
So there's so much work to be done. It's not funny, but although we don't have like the evidence base for many preventions, we can use our kind of informed clinical reasoning along with what we know to cause blisters and figure out some sensible approaches. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm trying to um, educate podiatrists about. So we, we aren't just going straight for taping and then if that doesn't work, throw our hands up. It's, you know, we can really get into the nitty gritty of all this. Yeah. And I guess this whole topic, um, it it doesn't matter too much if the evidence doesn't really show too much because you can always just do trial and error. And it's such an easy experiment for you to do as an individual to say, like, Let's just say you use your toe sleeves, which you like implementing. You've you've seen success once you implement the toe sleeve because a blister, like you say, it appears within a couple of hours of doing a certain task and, you know, returns quite often if what you're doing, if you're mismanaging it or if you're doing something wrong. And so it could be just as easy just, you know, to do taping, see if it works for you do a toe sleeve, see if it works for you, do a double sock, see if it works for you. And it's good to know that there's like insufficient evidence on or like ineffective stuff for paper tape and double socks. So we know not to really trial those and trial something else, but it could be easy experiments for people to run on themselves. Would you agree? Yeah, easy experiments. Um, you just need to, you know, if you do taping and it works at 10Ks, but then you use it for a marathon, you know, it's you need to sort of compare like for like. Gotcha. So it needs to also take into account the activity and the duration and the intensity of that activity. So there's going to be, yeah, it'll take a, a fair while to get all that trial and error, um, I guess, completed before you finally settle on the perfect strategy. So it can really help to get some advice on, you know, every every prevention strategy has pros and cons. There's not one that suits every situation, every anatomical location, every activity. Um, so, yeah, really uh, the help of a podiatrist to uh, help you figure that out. And then if you're not getting far there or you just want to go it alone and DIY, Fix My Foot Blisters Fast is a course that's built on this premise. It's built on the premise that you've got to figure out your bony location and then I'll tell you all the things that work best and don't work. I'll tell you how they work and their pros and cons, and then you can go from there. That that would be the most um, efficient way of doing your trial and error, I would say. Okay. Uh, going back to adaption, um, I, I mentioned last time we spoke that the only ever time I can recall blisters is like during preseason and my basketball days when – you know, I'd spend the off season in thongs and bare feet on the beach and that sort of stuff. And then I'd go back to um, training and I'd have blisters for the first week and then I was fine after that. And so probably a good um, illustration of, you know, the adaptation phase. My question would be like, how long should someone, how patient should someone be to say, oh, let me just get, let my skin kind of adapt because I can kind of see, like to your point before, you sort of maxed out the adaptation of your foot because you've been walking daily but then still got blisters. But I could just at the same time still see someone trying the adaptation process and still not seeing results. Like how quickly are we expecting the skin to adapt? 
Well, we don't have a lot of evidence for foot skin. Foot skin's a lot different to um, other skin. So when we look at that research, it's looking at things like mouse ears. They've rubbed mouse ears and, and, and you know, okay. yeah. <laughs> and the anterior shin and the volar forearm and that kind of thing. So I don't know. We don't know. Um, but the adaptions can happen in as quickly as seven days. They found that um, the adaptions at seven days pretty much equaled that at 28 days. So that might give you something to guide you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Cause I could just see like an example of someone just being really persistent and stubborn and just waiting for their skin waiting. to get stronger. And then these blisters keep happening when to your point, some people can just max out and they need that additional layer of intervention to, mm. to prevent these things from happening. Um, okay. So going back to your um, effective strategies for preventing blisters that this paper's found. You mentioned insoles, you mentioned the acrylic socks and the adaptation process. Mm -hmm. um, talk to us about the insoles. Like, is that like a heel lift or is that just a softer underfoot? Like what's the, the purpose of the insole? The, this was research from back in the 1960s and they, when Spenko was, you know, are you familiar with Spenko? I'm not. It's just an insole that you can often get at um, sports shops or podiatrists have Spenko and we cover orthotics with it. It looks a bit like a wetsuit material. So that was the, um, this research was the start of the Spenko material, which is a neoprene, and they use it as a full insole. So we, we get that in 1.5 and 3 mils. So I'd go with the 3 mil, the thicker the better, the more cushioning and the more shear it would absorb. Okay, so it doesn't have much of a heel lift to it. It's, no. it's just lays down. It's just down a cushioning. It's, yeah, it's across the whole bottom of the foot. Okay, and the acrylic socks, is that serving the same purpose, just a little bit like a little bit more cushioning? Well, the, the purpose of the acrylic sock, it was compared to a cotton sock. So there was the first paper, they got. Two socks, one was 100% acrylic, one was 100% cotton, and they constructed them exactly the same. And they found that the thick acrylic sock outperformed the cotton sock. Something like the blisters were three times as common as in the cotton sock and twice the size compared to the ones in the acrylic sock. Then they got two 100% socks, 100% cotton and 100% acrylic again, but this time their construction was very thin. It was identical but very thin. And what they found then was neither outperformed the other, but the blister incidence was exactly the same in both. So in that way, the authors proposed that it was due to the, um, the better moisture management properties of the acrylic which we know cotton is performs really badly when it comes to moisture management. It sort of holds the moisture against the skin, whereas synthetic materials encourage the movement of moisture, which basically is sweat, throughout the sock so that there's less concentration of moisture per unit area. And the more it moves within the sock and to the outside of the sock, the more it can evaporate through the shoe. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, good point. Uh, it might... You may have answered this already, but um, since we're on the topic of socks, Amy asked if you have any sock re recommendations to prevent blisters. So I guess research aside, like in your clinical practice, if someone was to come in to you and say and ask this question, what would you tell them? Avoid cotton. Thick is better than thin. 
um, but just find a sock that's comfortable in the shoe and with the activity. So even if you need a thin sock uh, because your feet are really broad and you find it difficult to find shoes that fit well and you're going to be running for a long time, therefore there's going to be a swelling component, you need every bit of space in there that you can get. So you probably sacrifice the thick sock and get the thin sock. Um, and just know that there are more sophisticated and targeted ways of managing blisters than just socks. Mm. So I would go more for comfort. There is one sock called Armour Skin Sock. That's an Australian-made sock. It's a very weird sock and I'm quite impressed with it in in one way. It, it's, uh, it has a silicon on the inside so much so that you can't, pull the sock on you have to kind of roll it onto your foot okay ah. so it really sticks to your skin but the outside of it is quite slippery it's a material that has a low coefficient of friction and then you just put any old normal athletic sock over the top of that so it's a double sock mechanism um and i like it because it it's it does reduce the coefficient of friction significantly but the problem, the potential problem is when we're reducing the coefficient of friction over the whole foot, we retard that traction which we need. Having said that, a lot of people go well with them. So um, I prefer a more targeted friction management approach rather than this global all over the foot approach. Mm. But, you know, some people get away with it. Yeah. And if someone's getting blisters, in between their toes, um, mm. have you found success with like those individual toe socks? Toe socks, yes. If you think about what toe socks do, well, normally for the interdigital space, it's like skin on skin. Now, if you wear a toe sock, now you've got skin, sock, sock, skin. So we've got two layers of cushioning. We've got a double sock mechanism as well. And plus we're managing the moisture a bit and keeping those toes apart. So they can go a long way to reducing blisters for sure, interdigital blisters. A lot of people though think toe socks will stop every toe blister that exists, okay? It's not gonna do anything different to the tip of the toe, the top of the toe. Um, it's only going to be beneficial for the interdigital space. One word of caution though is that all of that extra sock layer between the toes really does take up some space. And so if you're involved in an endurance activity, you need to make sure that your shoe can cope with all that swelling plus the extra mass of the shoe, of the sock, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, very good. Well, um, there was one other thing about the socks. Oh, yeah. I have, like, if you're familiar with, like, the Stegen socks, I'm not sure if they have them over in, in Perth, yeah. but they're, like, yeah. very thin but mm. kind of fit to your foot very well. And I think they claim it sort of helps reduce the onset of blisters or the pre prevents blisters and that sort of stuff. Have you, uh, it seems to be the opposite of what you're recommending in terms of um, cushioning. Um, is there any merit to that? And that's why I don't think every, I don't think your blister prevention efforts hinge on what sock that you buy, that you're wearing. Mm. Um, I quite like, the feel of a thin sock like a Stegen sock um, and it kind of feels like if we measured its coefficient of friction it would be relatively low compared to other materials so perhaps what it lacks in cushioning and a bit of shear absorption it, and moisture management in regard to its thickness it gains in just being thin and a bit slippery we don't okay. know sock manufacturers don't really release they either don't test or they don't release the coefficient of friction data of their socks. It would just be so helpful if they did. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for someone like you, who's like very focused on like the data and 
exactly the mechanics of what's going on with blister management. Mm. Okay. Well, um, we have one more patron question, which uh, you can repeat some things if it's already been answered. But Craig asks, how does one prepare for a long distance race to avoid blisters? What what can someone do? Um, well, the two pieces of advice that I give people that would help most in this situation is to number one, consider your blister history. The blisters you've had before are more than likely the blisters that you'll get again. You should just expect to get them and have the best possible prevention in place before you even start. So a lot of runners, even ultra runners, they just hope against hope that that blister they had last year or last month won't happen again. And it almost always ends in tears. So just expect for it to happen. Research the best prevention for the anatomical location and get it in place for your training so that you are not sort of at the penultimate week of your training you don't have a blister and then you're at your wit's end do I keep going and risk the blister getting worse or do I stop and not complete my training regime Um, so just have it in place for your training don't just leave it for race day but certainly have it in place for race day as well and the second thing is anywhere that you've got calluses you're more than likely to blister if your activity level increases so calluses and blisters are caused by the same thing repetitive shear deformation Blisters are the acute manifestation. Calluses are the chronic manifestation. So your it's the callus is like the adaption, but don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, I need calluses all over my feet to stop blisters and now I've got a callus here, I won't get a blister. It's not that easy. It, when we need the adaption, it's not really noticeable on the outside of the skin. It's what's happening. It's the structure inside the skin. So yes, definitely do everything you can to adapt the skin, but don't go for big chunky calluses. And it's not enough just to go to the podiatrist, get your calluses pared down a week before the race and thinking that you're dealing with it because you need to deal with the cause, which is the repetitive shear deformation, which will prevent the blister. For ultra runners out there, I know you kind of uh, answered this last time you were on, but let's just say they develop a blister mid-race and they've got 10 hours to go. Um, do they pop it? Do they not pop it? Do they leave it? Do they put up with the pain? What's like a good um, kind of medical approach to helping blisters as they form mid-race? It really depends on what equipment you've got with you and if you've got any uh, uh anyone there to help you whether you can get to your feet and do the job properly I'm a fan of popping blisters or lancing blisters just because nine times out of ten if you just ignore a blister or put your shoe back on and keep running it's going to pop anyway and now it's popped in a in a sterile um, conditions and is likely to get infected so I like to lance it in a controlled environment betadine and a band-aid importantly implement the prevention that obviously should have been there in the first place because it's the prevention that minimises the shear deformation. So that'll mean that that blister won't be painful, even though you've got a blister there and you can keep running on it. So implementing prevention during treatment is very important. You can lance a blister if you've got the gear and you know how to do it, um, but if you don't or you just can't get to your feet or you have your immunocompromised for any reason, it would make sense, less sense to lance a blister, but at least put a Band-Aid over it um, and even maybe some betadine so that if it does pop spontaneously, it does so without dirt and stuff getting in it. 
Yeah. And if someone completes the race and they see a blister and it hasn't popped, um, should we just let like the healing process do its thing now that it's encased and, you know, avoid, yeah. now we don't have a threat of something um, bursting it? It makes sense because, you know, especially if it's something like on the outside of your little toe or on the back of your heel, you can just wear thongs for a few days while that re all that fluid reabsorbs and hopefully after a few days it'll be down enough so that you can put a shoe on and walk. But if it's on the ball of your foot and let's say you have to go back to work, you know, tomorrow and you are on your feet all day at work, then perhaps you need to actually do something more okay. know, involved. Yeah. Um, well said. Well, I think that was everything I wanted to cover and we answered all the patron questions. Um, is there any other final takeaways or things that we may not have discussed when it comes to blister causation, prevention, management that you think might be uh, important? I think the main things to take away is that blisters are caused by the bone moving while the skin stays still. So it's bones move, skin stays still, everything in between stretches and distorts, and that's the mechanical that causes the mechanical fatigue of the blister. Also, try and think about blisters not as a single entity that needs a single solution. Try and think of blisters according to their anatomical location and search for the best preventions for the anatomical site. Um, and if you need any more help on that side of things, which is obviously what I specialise in, then um, I have a PDF that's coming out. Well, it will probably be out in the next day or two. And it's aimed more at multi-day ultra runners. But if you've got anyone in your audience there, Brody, that's an ultra runner, or even just any runner can take, you know, the the main messages away then feel free to sign up to that list and I'll send you that PDF. Great. Uh, and so like you said at the start, your website was blister-prevention.com. Um, mm -hmm. Can they also find the PDFs on that or should they just go to the link in, that I'll include in the show notes? Uh, the PDF isn't on there, no. So that I just use that for podcasts like this and for specific. I try to get specific to the audience, yeah. So. Yeah, excellent. So I'll put the PDF link into the show notes so people can go and click on that one. Um, any other social media um, handles or, you know, websites or anything that people can go? Um, well, I'm on Facebook um, under Blister Prevention. Um, YouTube's probably the best one. I've got lots of videos on YouTube. And that's Blister Prevention as well. Done. Okay. I'll include all of those in the, the show notes and... I think that we've covered plenty of practical stuff. I know, you know, blisters can plague a lot of runners and can be quite debilitating and just stubborn. So very, very good. Well done for releasing these or publishing these two papers. I know it's quite a lot of work getting papers published and it's going to help a lot of people. And it's good that it's like, a, like you say, it's an old paradigm, but it's a new paradigm to help people sort of come up with this current understanding and so thanks for coming on and sharing everything that you found. It's a pleasure, Brody. Thank you for having me. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. 
and last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.